Ladies and gents, welcome back to the Iron Mindset Podcast. We're joined in studio today by James McLaughlin, a trainer and coach down at Integrity Gym. James has quite the interesting tale of how he's overcome his own personal hardships with anxiety and depression, the brink it took him to, and the story he's come out with. Let's get right in. All right, so... James, thank you very much for joining me on short notice. No problem at all. I do really appreciate it. Now, when I messaged you and we were having a chat, and I know we've been warming you up into the into the setting here, mm-hmm. but there is one thing I want to jump straight on, straight in on that you mentioned when we were talking initially. You said, as you sat down, you've had big bundle nerves about coming on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And one particular phrase you mentioned was you felt a sense of imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah. Talk me through it. Yeah, so it was just initially, especially after seeing the previous guests that you had in the podcast, I thought, well, like, why me? What could I possibly have to offer compared to those people? You know what I mean? Why would Ian reach out to me to see what I have to say? You know what I mean? Mm. Um, yeah, just imposter syndrome. I just, I felt like I'd, there was no reason for me to be on the podcast or that I couldn't offer any value to it. Well, do you know, it's, the reason I asked that specifically is because this is like a term or a phrase I've heard a fair bit more over the last couple of years people will talk about imposter syndrome and I just have such a hard time personally I have a hard time relating to it Right. so like now you've used it so naturally you have a degree of understanding of what it means to you and I suppose the way you put it is you look at people that have been on previously and maybe think well they added this much or have this much of a background or experience or whatever but I am a firm believer that everybody does have value they can offer it might be in different forms it might come as like for example I know people really love when I have Ben on because Ben talked about how he struggled himself when he was younger and now he's he's quite well put together he's running his own business whereas there's you know Jake talked about how he's basically being like part of the animal and then he's like very open about his steroid use and you know it facilitated him being who he is now which is one of the strongest people on the planet but I think it's like that like value can come in the form of wow that if those people can do these things I can overcome these things and in some cases it might be a cautionary tale say well maybe they flew too close to the sun there with the drug use and that's something I want to avoid so I'm absolutely positive that there's plenty of value you can offer from your own unique experiences like you were very receptive when I sent out the email. You sent me back a whole bunch of interesting points about yourself that I think are very relevant, especially in today's day and age. Mm. So what is imposter syndrome? <laughs> it's, um, it doesn't have to be a definition, just to you. Like, what is, what is so it? So you feel like an imposter. You feel like you shouldn't be in the position that you're in. Mm. So I got it a lot when I started PTing. You know, I'd be PTing and then I might do four, five, six clients in a day and I get home and I'm like, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm at. I shouldn't be here, you know? You just think like, I don't, I don't know enough. There's better PTs out there. I'm not the guy for this job. So does a lot of it come down to comparison? Comparison, yeah, definitely comparison. And uh, confidence as well, I guess, you know. Um, just not being confident enough in your abilities. Mm. But it's almost like an impulse thing because like, I do have confidence in my abilities and I feel like I do have value. But it's just an instant, like, you know, that, like getting home and thinking, oh, that wasn't great. You can talk yourself out of it. You can say, no, it actually was, you know, and then and I'll look at clients' progress or I'll talk to clients and I'll reaffirm myself like, okay, actually, I have got value. I have done a good job, you know. Yeah, and, uh, and then in, naturally, we're both trainers. You graduated Image Fitness, am I right? Yeah. Back in 2017? Um, I was 18 at the time, 24 now. I, so, I'm not doing the maths. Yeah, I mean, Six years ago? <laughs> yeah. A long time ago. 2016, 2017-ish? Yeah, maybe, yeah, 2016. Yeah, I, I was creeping on your Instagram when, part. Yeah. When did you decide to jump in and be a PT then? Um, COVID. The, probably the last lockdown. 
um, during the last lockdown, so about six months before that ended, um, I went online and started training people online. Right, right. And yeah. then you decided to join Integrity Fitness and Swords. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to get some uh, experience in on the gym floor. And how has that experience been so far? Ridiculous. It's been crazy. I mean, everything that I thought I knew or, every, you know, I thought, like, right, this is the way I'm going to train people. This is the way I write programs. Because I'd been doing online for maybe six months. And then within three weeks of working on the gym floor, I changed Oh, everything it's you like know, night and day yeah. yeah ridiculous when you get to work with people in person and see what they're all about like that's yeah. i say to everybody if they can work with people in a one on a one-on-one -on -one basis is probably the best way to make progress for both the clientele yeah. and the coach because you can't really address someone's problems unless they're there in front of you and you can uh, both of you can talk it out because people generally want to be communicated with in a certain way coach in a certain way to respond to certain cues or certain feedback and then speaking of as you mentioned your own relationship with imposter syndrome is this something that have you seen this before in the industry is this common among trainers like again i've i've seen it i've seen people post about it but like yeah. what's your experience been both for yourself and then people you work with or externally yeah i've seen it happen people that i work with as well um like that they might finish training the client and they'll come back and like maybe they struggle to help them with so maybe they, they struggle to teach them an exercise the client just wasn't getting the hang of it mm. you know and that can be it might take a bit of a hit and they come back and they're like oh i just couldn't you know i'm, I'm not good enough you know it's just the immediate, immediate feeling of like, I'm not good enough. I couldn't coach them through that exercise. What am I doing here? Right, right. I, it's a curious thing because I suppose there are going to be those times you do genuinely encounter scenarios where you don't have the answer. Yeah. And I don't think that's necessarily a problem. But I do think trainers in general and people in life, if you're in any kind of position of authority or you're somebody people come to, there's this idea that you have to be able to give an answer. You mm -hmm. have to be able to solve the problem. When I think the biggest sign of maturity for anyone in that role is sometimes just to hold your hands and go, I don't know. Yeah. Do you know? And I think that's maybe, especially for newer trainers, a hard thing to grasp. You don't have to have the right answer for everything. But uh, would you say then looking at this now, I, I assume now as time has rolled on, you've gotten more comfortable in the role. You you feel good at coaching people now. You kind of know what your wheelhouse is, where you need to grow, where you excel, things like that. So I'm confident you're quite a capable trainer as it is now. Yeah, I'd like to think so. <laughs> Just weren't too sure on the R-rating a podcast with yeah. me for an hour or whatever. Well, look, do you think some of this then stems from, you mentioned to me uh, in our conversations before that uh, in your younger life, you would have had some issues you've overcome, things you've dealt with when you were a kid. Do you think some of it stems from this period of your life yeah absolutely well, you know talk me through what's the story uh so i would have suffered pretty badly with anxiety when i was younger um but i still do you know everyone does and that's the thing like i think i don't think there's anyone walking this earth that's incapable of feeling anxiety mm. you know it's just it's a nor it's an emotion it's a normal thing um i've gotten better with better at dealing with it over the years um and i could go long stretches without experiencing it so sometimes now when i do it kind of catches me off guard and it hits a little bit harder. But I have the tools to deal with it. Mm. You know, I'm better at dealing with it now, whereas before it could have just knocked me for a week, you know. Yeah, like I think anxiety is an interest and depression to a degree mm. as well. But looking just at the anxiety as you bring it up, what age were you when you um when you first started experiencing it? Uh, for as long as I can remember. I first became aware of it, of what it actually was when I was old. I was probably 16, 17. Um, but like, uh, as long as I can remember, I've just I felt not right in certain situations, you know what I mean? I would okay. feel sick and I would I would find excuses not to do things, find excuses not to leave the house or go to training. And that was when it really started to suffer. And that was when I noticed uh, something wasn't right. It was when I got a little bit older. And like I was saying, I played football since I was four. So like my ma would have 
dropped me to training and matches and like you had somebody doing that stuff for you yeah and then as i got older and it's like right it's time you can walk down the road to training yourself like it's grand and then i would have friends that i could use as a crutch so i would like text my mates and we'd walk to training together and meet them at their house and I'd walk to their you know people that you're comfortable with that was when the anxiety goes away you're distracted you're talking to them you're comfortable with that person you can show up to training with them um and then all of a sudden i noticed say i had this one mate that i would knock for before i went to training and maybe he wasn't going that night all of a sudden I had, oh, I don't feel well. Right. You know, maybe I've got too much homework to do. You know, I probably shouldn't go train. I'll give it a miss. And then after that had happened a handful of times, I was like, why am I making excuses? Why can I not go to training? Mm. And it got bad a couple of times where like, I'd get myself out the door and I'd walk up to the pitches where the training was on and I'd turn around or I'd like go for a walk, I'd go for a walk for an hour. So my mom would think I'd been to training and then come home because I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know why I felt like that. But I didn't want to say it to anyone either. I was almost embarrassed about it. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because before we started recording, you had mentioned that getting back to playing mm. is something you'd love to do now. Yeah, you know. So obviously, it's not you don't want to play. You didn't yeah. want to take part. Did, like, was it as you walked closer, it just got worse and worse, or was it, it would build? Yeah. yeah, it would build. Yeah. Do you, um, w- was there an element of like relying on other people to? I don't know, like bridge the gap into you you know, getting re- like mentally, that was part of the preparation. You had these people to talk mm-hmm. to, amp yourself up and get ready to participate when you didn't have those people there. You had to go in and in- engage yeah. yourself by yourself. Yeah, I would use them as a crutch, definitely. Right. Um, like there was a lot of times I w- didn't experience it. Like I did Taekwondo for years as well. I started that when I was six. And again, so like when I was young, it was easy to make friends and I was doing it so long. I was in the same group all the time. So I would be confident going in. But with football, like your team, changes a lot more i actually i played under 12s twice so because i was on the younger end of things and then like i would have been 12 going in or i think i was 11 say at the start of the season and there was lads that were like 13 playing and I remember one of the coaches said to my mom like maybe have him hang back and do under 12s again because the, the gap is getting a bit bigger you know mm. what i mean Be- between like the size of the lads on the pitch and me um so going into a fresh team at under 12s not knowing anybody not having any friends there except the, like one or two people that I would have known from school and stuff. That was when the anxiety got really bad because I didn't know anyone. So it was like a fear of like, just get these all these crazy thoughts going through your head. Say your like starts to race. Yeah. You know, starts to race, just like thoughts, stupid thoughts. Like what if I show up and say like, if there was loads of different teams training at the one time, like what if I join in on this team? And it's not actually my team. That would be embarrassing. You know, yeah. what if I go to talk to this person thinking it's my friend? It's not actually them. Or like, what if I trip or fall? Or what if I make a show on myself? It's just like this sense of, of embarrassing yourself or fucking up somehow. Like a, it's anticipatory. You're yeah. anticipating something going wrong. So, but once you get there, you're fine. Yeah. Like any time that I was able to power through it and I arrive, you start training. And like that, I loved, I loved playing. You know, I love sport, I love competing, and it makes me feel great. Mm. But the thoughts of it, the thoughts of getting there in the first place is where I struggled. I mean, I, I do want Jesus now. I understand people still do this into their adult mm. lives, but it's crazy. Like, again, the reason I wanted to have this conversation with you is that I actually spoke to, uh, there's another fellow that records a podcast here called Lean In, named Stephen Tierney. Mm. He runs STPT yeah. and Swords. He and I had a, a little chat in FlyFit before I left about it. Like, I was, he, was, he talks a lot about body image and things like that. And I was like, I really have never had this this set relationship yeah. with myself where I felt like and I didn't ha- like don't get me wrong people can look in the mirror and think ah you know maybe I'm leaning a bit too hard on the potato gratin you know what I mean yeah. maybe I need to pull back there on the L calories but like I've never I've never had that negative relationship with myself in the same way you're talking now like don't get me wrong I've had times where I felt anxious about mm. things or you know 
sad or depressed about certain things, but never chronically, never mm. like as this unexplainable thing. So that's why it's such an it's such an interesting topic. So under, like a lot of the questions, forgive me if I'm coming at it from a place of complete no. ignorance, because uh, as somebody all. who's got firsthand experience, you, it might resonate with somebody listening that they can understand where you're coming from. You just mentioned briefly, though, that when you were doing Taekwondo when you were younger, it didn't. It wasn't mm. it wasn't as prevalent. Yeah. And then I wonder with Taekwondo, like obviously you're it's a it's a solo sport. You're, you know, you're combating with some, I know you're probably there as part of a club or a gym or a dojo or uh, whatever, whatever the word <laughs> is, but, uh, you know, it's, you understand that the responsibility is yours and yours alone. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you can't really fall back on somebody else or the mates or necessarily, whereas like football or field sports, GA, rugby, these are all mm. team sports. So there is a much bigger social dynamic about how good or badly you perform. Like you said, you might fall over, you might join in with the wrong team. You know, it's, these are things you can anticipate. Whereas I wonder if there's less variables when it's a solo sport. I think this is just yeah. me. Yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, like that, you, you can't let anyone down. That's the real fear is like letting people down is like not being good enough, not being good enough for your team, not being good enough for your coaches. Um, right. You know, not just letting people down. Um, but there's still like with Taekwondo, you're still training with people all the time and like that was fine in that environment. Mm. Um, but then like that, the day of a fight or competition or whatever, you're, you only have yourself, you know? Yeah. And you still, there was a small bit, there's obviously, there's going to be anxiety pre-competition, which is natural, like you said. So I, I wouldn't differentiate the two. I, at the time I didn't, mm. you know, I was like, this is just like fight day nerves, you know? Yeah. I always, I'm, I'm always curious about the narrative around, like, I think like, like that anxiety depression these things have because i think firstly they're bundled together a bit yeah. too much but uh also i think now because they're such buzzwords and everyone knows about them mm. i think it's that people sometimes forget that the the one word means more than one thing like if you're anxious before a job interview that's probably normal because yeah. it's something that's potentially life-changing if you're anxious before a competition it's probably completely normal whereas you know if you're sitting there watching netflix and you have this bubbling stomach of anxiety or I don't know what the hell you feel it you know what I mean like maybe that's not normal maybe there's yeah. something up you know sure so like again you might have like if it's acute settings where like, like it's totally reasonable that you might have been nervous before being trapped in this small room here with me but uh you know if you were just walking in the road listening to this podcast you know it's no reason that you should feel you know a, a chronic sense of anxiety so yeah. I think between acute and chronic that's kind of where people sometimes miss the dial because they have become so buzzwordy and I think sometimes mm. people self-diagnose yeah. too quickly with things yeah. like it's good though you, you've mentioned you've learned and you've you've evolved and your mindset has matured to say ah this is a normal form of anxiety this is something it's good for me to feel because yeah. it means like you I know you mentioned in our conversations before this that if something does make you anxious, it probably means it's something you should be jumping into. Mm. The thought of it, like, you know, I'm sure people get anxious before they join the gym or yeah. before they contact you for some PT. Yeah. You know, and I get that. I, that's probably a lot of what you deal with when you get people coming in for consultations. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah, and time. a big part of it, I know for me anyway, is like putting people's minds at ease. Mm, definitely. And like, you see that a lot with people wanting to get in shape before they train. Mm. I think that's a big part of it. People saying like, oh, look, I'd love to start PT with you. Let me lose a bit of weight first. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're, and you're like, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. And because they, they're they're too self-conscious, they're too anxious about it. But um, like you're saying, the words get thrown around way too much. Like you hear people say, oh, I have anxiety. You're not special. You know what I mean? I mean that in the nicest way possible. Like that's a good thing. Mm. You're not, it's not a unique case. It's not like, oh, poor me. Oh, you're suffering with anxiety. A lot of people do. And there's ways to deal with it. Yeah, you know? great. You're a normal functioning human. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Like, you know, um, it's just, it's so common. It's so normal that you don't need to worry about it too much. Well, something else you mentioned that I think is quite good as well is, and it might, it might 
kind of tie back into something. You mentioned that uh, with the Taekwondo, you didn't feel as though you could necessarily let people down as much. Mm. And the reason that stands out to me is because you, you're obviously quite close with Shauna, who I coach, mm. Shauna Rahman. So Shauna has mentioned to me a, a good few times, like when it comes to competing, so she competed last August and she said the biggest thing was she felt like she had let me down as her coach. Which obviously, as somebody to coaches, or my only concern is how she gets on on the day. Yeah. Like it's not about letting me down. You know what I mean? But uh, it's interesting that because I w- I would say Shauna is quite similar in the mindset that you have had or the things you've gone through, and that she has overcome these like you know anxiety, depression, things like that, and she has learned ways to manage them in her day to day life. So probably a very similar degree. It's very you're quite close. I'm mm, sure you guys yeah. have had conversations yeah. around the same thing. So. The management tactics, I'd imagine, are similar. But uh, it's interesting that she also said the same thing, that one of the things that might set that off, the that sense of anxiety or dread or disanticipation, is the fear of letting somebody that's important to you down. Like, when you were growing up, was this, like, coaches and things like that then? Or was it your your mom or...? Honestly, anyone. 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 I ju- it was just... I just always had this sense of, like, not feeling good enough, you know? Mm. Um, like, that showing up to train and, and being like, oh, what if I fuck up? Like, what if I don't perform? Um, and I don't know where it came from because I've had it for as long as I can remember. It's just I feel like it's just the way I was wired. For whatever reason, I was just a little bit more anxious than it, from what I could see the other kids, you know, because I would see everyone else. Like I remember before training, everyone else would just be paddling around, just kicking the ball around and I wouldn't want to join in. You know, I'd like pretend to tie my boots until training actually started and then I could join in. I was afraid to approach people. That was a big thing as well. It was just it's just confidence, not having the confidence to actually approach someone that you're not as friendly with. I'd be like, oh, can I join in? You know, and just little things like that. Um, it's just avoidance, you know, avoidance of that, of, of confrontation. And did this ever, like, and you mentioned that you really start to notice it when you're around 16-ish. Where did this really come to a head for you? Was there any point where you knew yourself, I have to make a change or do something about this? Um, yeah, so it kind of, it happened to me when I was a lot younger, um, but I found unhealthy ways of coping with it. So I was probably around... I want to say maybe 12, 13. Um, and I'd stopped playing. I'd, I'd pretty much stopped doing Taekwondo at that point, like a kind of minimal sport. I was still playing Ga, but um, I remember I spent like a whole summer without leaving my house. I, can't, I think maybe between like sixth year and first year, first year and second year. And I just wouldn't leave my gaff. Um, just the thoughts of going outside, I just couldn't bear it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what it was like. Um, what were you doing instead? Just sitting at home, just sitting in bed all day, just playing Xbox, just doing nothing because I didn't want to go outside. Like I couldn't go get my hair cut right. and I just felt shit. And then because I wasn't like going like that, I would use crutches. If I text the lad, see if anyone wants to go get their hair cut, I'd go with them. If not, I would, just wouldn't do it, you know? Um, so like you escaped into a fantasy, in video games. Fantasy exactly. World, like, yeah. But then I found escapism through when I was 14. Um, I had like I'd made a new group of friends in school and stuff. Like it wasn't like I was wasn't completely isolated. I made friends and I got on with people. And when I was fourteen, uh, we were on Port Marnock Beach during the summer, and I had a, a bottle of Miller. I had like one bottle of Miller, and I got looser and I started talking to people. Like, maybe I had two. I got I was gargled. Liquid courage. Liquid courage. Dutch courage. I was falling around the beach. I was chatting to people. I was talking to girls, and I was like, "This is great." You know, I was like, this is class. I remember going home and I f- was so happy with myself that like I was sociable. You know, I wasn't just sticking to that one friend. I wasn't just like being introverted in myself. I was like being social. And then that just escalated pretty much. Um, and that that was my crutch then. That was what I used for for right up until I was probably 18, I think, was when it got, it, was when it got to the worst point. Um, 
And I'd started working in bars when I was 16 as well. So that just enabled that that drinking habit to get right. way worse. Um, like it was, would have been something I would have used on the weekends, like during the winter and stuff, would have been like 16, 17. Um, and we would just be drinking in fields, with bottles and stuff. And I was like, I, I thought that I was over the anxiety. Again, still not realizing it was anxiety, but yeah. just, okay, when I do this thing, I become more sociable. I, I, I have make I make more friends. I'm better at making friends. I'm a better version of myself when I do this, when I drink. Yeah. So like you could like mask a lot of those inadequacies mm. you weren't addressing or those shortcomings yeah. that you may have otherwise had to deal with. You mm. could mask it behind drinking yeah. with the lads, which yeah. I suppose in Ireland is probably quite prevalent. Massive. It, it does make me wonder like how many young lads are in the same position. Exactly. Or young, young people, young girls yeah. as well, or even people that have carried it into their adult mm. life, you know, because it is something Raquel and I talked about when she was on the podcast was that there's so few adult activities that don't revolve around alcohol consumption. Yeah. Now, I don't think necessarily having a drink is a bad thing. I think all these things, it's the poisons in the dose. Mm. It's like a lot of the time people talk about the ills of social media, the ills of, Jesus, I don't know, smoking a bit of weed or whatever, like, you know what I mean? I don't think it's necessarily that any of these one things is particularly very bad. I think it's, how this is used by the person who might be using it if they're quite vulnerable, covering up a vulnerability. Like it seems that that's yeah. what you did in your younger life. And it was actually something as I was uh, look, doing like very quick uh, emergency research for our podcast, as I looked back through some of your older posts on Instagram, it definitely, see, and I think it's quite a, it externally looks very normal until like we're doing with you now, peeking behind the curtain. Mm -hmm. It seems like a lot of your pictures were just you on a night out, yeah. you drinking with the lads, you on a beach drinking. There's yeah. one where you're like basically naked on a beach yeah. with a drink. <laughs> it was a nudist beach. So. Yeah, you're in a lot. Well, I mean, look on the bright side. You're in really good shape now yeah. in comparison to then. You know, you weren't in bad shape then either, yeah. but you know what I mean? Like you're, you look fucking jacked now. You look skinny then. Like, so that's probably a good measure of progress as yeah. well. But it's, I suppose, one of the interesting things about the likes of Instagram is that it can give us a window back in time into people's different parts of your life. Like uh, everyone had that period of time in 2014 where all the pictures, they had like all the mad filters on it and all, you know. But uh, so as as you mentioned, like you started when you were like 14, you were drinking, this became a thing the whole way up. And I know you mentioned you weren't like socially inept. You were still doing things, yeah. but you know, you were obviously like using a lot of escapism, mm -hmm. whether through alcohol, or as you mentioned that one summer, you just played video games yeah. nearly every day and you would rely on the lads to be the stimulus to get you to go out. Like, I suppose when people hear things like that, you know, it sounds extreme to say, I didn't go out for a whole summer, yeah. you know? But I think it's that these things don't always happen at the extreme ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Like, if somebody is staying in, it doesn't mean that they're not sometimes going out with their friends. So it might seem feasibly normal, just at ah, James is much for going out, like, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And then on the flip side of that, somebody who's out doing things all the time and filling every second of their time up with activity, that's not necessarily good either. Exactly. And I think it's always where can we find the balance in the yeah. middle. But uh, what happened then along that road? Like, obviously somewhere you said like, ah, I, I kind of get what's up. I need to do something about this. I'm going to manage this better. Yeah. What happened? Where was that? Um, so... I just really started to struggle mentally with um, with where where am I going? You know what I mean? I felt I started to feel a little bit lost. Directionless. Um, directionless, yeah. Because I knew where I wanted to go. Like I wanted to go this way. And I wanted and every action I was doing was sending me this way. Like that I started doing less and less sports. The thing that I loved and I consumed most of my life, like playing football and doing taekwondo, I was training every day of the week at a match or a competition on the weekends. That was that was my life. Mm. And then by the time I was seventeen, I wasn't doing either. I was doing nothing. I wasn't doing any physical activity whatsoever, which in itself is just terrible, you know. And then 
was drinking more and more and more. So I'm going more further this direction and then far away from what I want. But I still knew I wanted to go that way. I want to be fit. I want to be healthy. I want to compete. These are the things that make me happy. These are the things that I enjoy. Why am I continuing to do this? Mm. I still didn't understand why it was happening. But I still found comfort in drinking and, and the escapism. And because when I was, you know, sober, when I was when I was hungover, first of all, the anxiety is even worse when you're hanging. The fear, like, it was so bad. You um, really hit the depths then. Yeah, big time. Can I ask then, do you think some of that may have been that you recognized where you wanted to go? And it was obviously in this direction, but everything else was pulling you back this other way. Yeah. Like, there's this very common phrase of uh, you are you are the sum of the five people you spend yeah. the most time with. I think it's because you're... I assume your friends were also not playing a massive amount of sport at the time. They were all going out drinking. They were, yeah. you know, they were living for the weekend. So your social group was kind of pulling you in that direction. Yeah. I'm not blaming them, obviously. No, absolutely. But uh, even though your sights were set over here, because I think sometimes we underestimate the power of the society around us, the group or the group think that like, while you may want one thing, you like, for example, if somebody is really adamantly wants to like let's say lose a couple of kilos because they're they're getting quite overweight but everyone in their friend groups come on we go out on the weekend we get a few jars we get a few kebabs yeah. we'll get a dominoes in do you know what i mean like every, everything revolves around food like if your support network is is so yeah. paramount to that like i know for from my own experience it's so much easier for me to be consistent with training and things like that because essentially all my close friend group train yeah do you know what i mean so there's always somebody for me to train with but it's like this weird like like symbiotic relationship yeah. where like they know I'm going to train and I know they're going to train. So one of us will text them, but are you coming to training? And we yeah. both know the other ones, but they're going, so I better go. So I do wonder if that's been a massive factor in it. Yeah, so absolutely. you recognize that all your activities were pulling you further away, but you still had your sights set here. So where, where did the split happen? Where did you make that decision? Um, so I'd been I pretty much hit the bottom of the barrel. Like I hit my lowest point ever. Um, I was really badly depressed. Again, not being aware of it, you know, I, I didn't know what was happening. I just knew I felt shit all the time. Um, or, or like it was like a lack of feeling. I didn't really feel anything, you know, I didn't really feel any joy anymore. Just kind of going through my days. Um, and by this point, I was working full time in the bar trade. Um, so when I left school, like I made some efforts to try and go in the direction I wanted. Like I'd done my PT course, yeah. things like that. But the easy route was keep working in bars because that's what I was doing. So I was 16, I was good at it. I was being offered full-time jobs in bars so that I could start out as a PT, earning fuck all money, or continue to work full-time here. I'm on a good wage. Mm. Kept doing that and just drinking like almost every night a week, probably like, you know, three, four, yeah. five nights a week. It's a lot. It's a lot because you don't realize it, but, you know, after your shift, you could be doing a shift on a Tuesday night, you have a couple of points after work. It's just, it's nothing. You might have a couple of points in your break, a couple of points in your work. It's four points a day. And then your day off, you're going out with your mates. Yeah. You're drinking constantly. Um, and again, not playing any sport or doing anything. And I just hit the bottom of the barrel and I was just so depressed and I felt so shit. I was having crazy thoughts and it got to, the, to a point where I was just like, I need help. I, I don't know what to do anymore. I can't, can't keep going like this, you know? Mm. Um, I was scared. Like I was really, really scared. Like there's times I was just breaking down, crying and I was just, I couldn't handle it because I couldn't stop it. I felt like, why am I still going in this direction? Why am I still doing this all the time? Um, and I ended up turning around to my dad. And I was like, look, I, I need like I need help. I don't feel good. Like I don't know what to do. Um, and he brought me to the GP. He brought me to the doctors and was like, and he came in the office with me and all like, he's, he's such a sweetheart. And he brought me in, sat me down. And he's like, look, he's not feeling good. Like you know, what can you do? And um, the doctor immediately was just like, right, antidepressants. Right. That was right. the first reaction. Was just like, okay, take these. 
Um, a couple of weeks, you're not feeling any better, double the dose, whatever. If you're not, you know, a couple, couple more weeks go by, come back in, we'll give you stronger ones. That was kind of the thing. And then there was a little backhanded, like, oh, by the way, here's a card for a therapist. And it was like, just if you feel like you would do that, you know. So immediately, like, went on the antidepressants. They made me feel shit as well. Um, definitely helped to a degree, you know what I mean? They, they brought me back a little bit. Took the edge you know, off. Yeah, came back from the brink a little bit, which was good. Um, they definitely have their place, like, but then a few weeks had gone by and I still, you know, wasn't helping. And like you were saying with, with the lads, like, innocent to them, even when I turn around to them, like, lads, I think I'm going to take a break from the drink. I, I think I'm going to knock out this week. I don't, I don't really feel great. They couldn't understand it. And they were like, yeah. oh, come on, like, you know what I mean? Stop well, being you, you mentioned being in the bar trade that like having a few drinks on your break or having a few drinks after work with mm. the crew, like it's normal. Yeah. And it's, I suppose when you're inside the bubble, again, it just comes off as normal. I'd imagine yeah. it's the same, like look for people that are in the gym. You know yeah. what I mean? It's probably extremely normal for you to whip out a weighing scales and weigh out your porridge. Yeah. Like I know I've done it before. I was doing it with housemates years ago and they're like, what the fuck yeah. are you doing? And I thought I had like an eating disorder. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so it's it's very understandable when you're on the outside looking in, you might be able to point to all the inadequacies in a plan. But like, when you're, like you said, you were in that scenario, you couldn't understand why you just kept feeling shit and yeah. you were in this like negative feedback loop in this cycle that you obviously knew you wanted to break. And I'd imagine that's where a lot of the mental strife came yeah. from because you recognize what you're doing isn't what you want, mm -hmm. but knowing how to break the cycle is really, really hard. So yeah. like, well done, firstly, for reaching out to, firstly, to recognize it and then to speak to your old man about it. I imagine that was tough. It was, yeah. Like, you, you now, like, and again, this is probably touching off a little bit of a touchy subject, but just to get your perspective, you mentioned like, you know, you felt bad, you were having some really terrible thoughts and you said the antidepressants maybe pulled you back from the brink where you're really having those sorts of negative thoughts. You're really going yeah. that direction. Yeah, big time. Yeah. There was, I can't, I can't even remember the whole like, time frame is a bit of a blur because I was drunk for a lot of time you know most right. days but I, I remember just like really having some dark thoughts like and I was like this I, I'm breaking down like I said crying and I was like I can't do it I just started thinking about my family everything and I was like I was, I was having suicidal thoughts like you know mm -hmm. got to that point where it was those were starting to pop into my head along with the anxious thoughts that was what the anxious thoughts kind of developed into it was just like, fuck this, like, just, yeah. you know, you're not going to get any better, like, just fuck it, you know what I mean? Just, it'll, it'll be so much easier, it'll be, the, the noise I was feeling in my head would be silence, like, that'd be, it'd be done. That's all I wanted was for that to just quieten down, because it was so bad. And the only thing that was helping was drinking, Yeah. you know, but then like that, anytime I'm sober, it's like, oh, the thoughts are back, like, what am I going to do? I just wanted a way out, I wanted a solution, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, after a few weeks of being on the antidepressants, I, I rang the therapist, rang the number for the therapist, and went and talked to him. Um, and that was just game changing for me. Like that was, it was crazy. Um, he just pulled stuff out of me. And I remember being so against it for so long, thinking like, how could talking to somebody possibly do any good? I talk to people all the time. You mm -hmm. know, even if he's a professional, I was like, I talk, I'm open with people. I tell people I'm not feeling good. I've told my mates that I think I should stop drinking. I think I have a problem. And it's not helping. I've already been open about this, this stuff. Um, but then he just taught me things that I didn't realize um, about my own emotions and about why I couldn't do certain things and why I felt a certain way. He just educated me on on my feelings that I'd been feeling for my entire life. And it was like, it just made so much sense. So many, so many times it just clicked with me. It's like, shit, that makes sense, you know? Mm -hmm. And from there you can work on it and you can build on it and say, okay, well now this, there's a logical solution to this, you know? And one of the big ones was, he pointed out, I always thought that I didn't get offended by things. I didn't get angry. It's like water off a duck's back. Someone says something to me or someone does something to me, I don't care. It doesn't bother me, I'm laid back. He pointed out, he's like, no, you're just bottling it up. He's mm. like, you don't have the 
confidence to be angry. You know what I mean? He's like, yeah. be angry. And I was saying this to you about like related emotions. So he was saying how anger and confidence are both outward expressions. He's like, you don't express yourself outwardly, you express yourself inwardly, mm. which is like sadness, anxiety, you know, depression. These are all expressed inwardly. And that was mind blowing to me because then I realized like me thinking that I was being like stoic my whole life and like not caring about what people think I did care. I just couldn't react to it. I couldn't, you know what I mean? I didn't, yeah. I didn't stand up for myself essentially. Yeah, I think, uh, I think stoicism is maybe a little bit misunderstood by people in Definitely. that way. I think it's like, obviously a lot of what you're talking about, like I'm sure like this is like, to me, this is like mind blowing stuff. You know what I mean? Because I've not been on this end. So like, thanks for sharing mm. because genuinely like it's, it's obviously like a bit of a like touchy subject for some people to talk yeah. about. So like, it's good degree that you can demonstrate a degree of vulnerability, you know, sitting here chatting to me so like thanks very much I guess I'm hoping that like by the time somebody gets to listen to this we don't know who's who yeah. this could really resonate with who could really be like in a very similar position so yeah like and it's some people it is the right answer maybe what they need to do is go and have a chat with somebody yeah. and I'm gonna imagine if I can if I could just like pontificate and correct me if I'm wrong uh I'd imagine some of it is with therapy is that like it's not just necessarily, let's talk about your problems. It's let's find a realistic strategy for you yeah. to cope with what's going on because having the emotions is not necessarily wrong, but the way you're choosing to cope with them is not the right way. Yeah. So naturally you were experiencing anger or you, people were pissing you off, but you wouldn't do anything with it. So you just push it down and then drown it under alcohol, yeah. I guess, you know, like, um, yeah, it's that, that to me is like, so like, it's different to how I have I have been as a person. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm an extremely outward person. Do you know? Like uh, I it, anyone that's known me growing up, and I have absolutely no problem shouting if I need to. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's again just as somebody else who's like in a very similar field to me, does a very similar thing to me. It's it's crazy that you can live a whole different existence. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I haven't had struggles. I'm sure like we can. Uh, there's a lot of common ground between us. Mm. But like that, you've gone about this this other way and it's phenomenal that you've recognized it so early in your life as well because i'd imagine there is a great number of people that still carry on doing that same thing where they might be bottling up a lot of what they feel and burying it under substances or or alcohol yeah. so you went to therapy uh this this i'd imagine this equipped you with some of the tools that you still utilize to this yeah, day big time and so that was the big turning point for you yeah definitely that was it um, like that just learning about my own emotions and why I was feeling certain feeling a certain way why I wasn't feeling a certain way um, and also just having somebody in my corner as well like I went every single Friday for a year full year uh, and I would just I'd pour everything onto him you know and I end up having quite a good relationship with him um, and it's just and honesty was a big one and that's something that that he taught me was to just be honest constantly mm. just be as honest as possible like it's going to get you out of like even if you've done something wrong be honest about it you know um, and that was something that that helped a lot with the confidence, you know, that was kind of related as well. Like if you're confident enough to kind of own up to your to your actions, you know, then you can be confident enough to speak up for yourself. And um, that was a big one. Um, yeah, we, we spoke we spoke about a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? Some Sometimes I'd have to admit, like I went, I could have been gone for a few weeks and I'd be like, this isn't doing shit. Yeah. You know, we could be gone for weeks on end. I'm like, why am I still bothering? But it's just being being consistent with it and just keep, keep trying you know that was the big thing for me it was like i just kind of keep trying yeah you might have been a tough nut to crack from you know yeah yeah that's it like well um, like i think like anything you know it is that it's it's like i'm gonna relate it to what we do you go to the gym one time nothing's changed yeah. you go 10 times nothing's changed mm -hmm. it's only when you've gone those three four five six twelve months 
to like, holy shit, this is working. Yeah. All the gratification is delayed. Like you saw with your with, with yourself, you recognized what you were doing when you were just drinking and in this constant negative cycle. It wasn't working, but it was instantly gratifying. Well, I can drink now and feel good for the next couple of hours. But to delay that gratification out by a couple of months meant having to go through some pretty uncomfortable times, I'd imagine. Like, you really have to just sit with yourself and feel like dog shit. But yeah. look on the bright side. Yeah. You know what I mean? You've fucking come out the other end of it pretty good. Like, you know, and, and like that, like you mentioned right at the beginning about like imposter syndrome and knowing if you're not good enough and you know, being anxious and like you had those super fucking negative thoughts. Like, but look now, like you you're a coach, a trainer. There's people that I'd imagine rely heavily on you and you've added a lot to their lives. Mm-hmm. So like I suppose that's like the big takeaway from that whole thing that as terrible or as useless or as whatever somebody might feel right now if you're willing to put that work in and you can, you know, hold on for that little thread, there is a lot you can do with that later on down the road. So, you know, you went through that, you said every Friday for a year. Yeah. So that's a massive time commitment. And yeah, I'd imagine like it was quite the process. I imagine you learned a lot about yourself during it as well. Yeah, it did. Definitely. Like that just, it made me rethink my whole, my whole childhood, my whole upbringing. Um, a big thing as well was I used to hang on to the past a lot. And that was a big um, problem with the anxiety I was, I was dealing with was that, worrying about things that hadn't happened yet, worrying about things in the future, like those were the anxious thoughts, but then also dwelling on the past as well. That was a big one that he pointed out to me was that like you're dwelling on these things. No, what's the point, you know? And that was a big thing was just like being logical. That was one of the big things we used to go over was just be as logical as possible. Like, why are you thinking about something that can't be changed? It's done already. Move on from it. You know, the things in the future haven't happened yet. Don't worry about them. Yeah. You know? Um, and finding finding evidence in a lot of things as well in, in your anxious thoughts. So like one of the uh, one of the thoughts that used to come through my mind a lot was that like that feeling of not being good enough. And he was like, well, why do you think that? Ask yourself that question. Why are you not good enough? You know, who's the possibility? You have friends, you have family, there's mm-hmm. people that care about you, that like you. You're good enough for them. And it's just going through those thoughts yourself. And it was those questions that he posed to me that I, that's what I use now myself. Like like that when you when you text me, I had to sit down with myself and I said, right, well, what value can I have? Surely I have some value here. You know mm. what I mean? I'm good enough for that. And then that that quenches the the thoughts a bit. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, yeah. So that that was definitely a big one. Yeah, it's it's so interesting as well because like that you're gonna have like that. Like I was mentioning earlier on, if you're somebody on the outside looking in, like you know, you've obviously got a loving family. You, uh, you've got friends around you, you've got those social outlets where it was when you're younger playing sports or like even getting up and being able to go to work. Externally, things sh- seem like they should be great. So I would imagine some of what went, I don't want to say what went wrong, but I imagine some of what the stumbling block was is maybe just as you were growing up, maybe you didn't get the opportunity to develop those habits and behaviors that would have helped you cope with these things when they come. But like that, not no two people are built exactly the same. You know, like so you might experience neuroticism, like a negative emotion more so than somebody else and somebody else would experience it less. You mentioned introversion earlier on. Somebody might be a little more introverted. Somebody might be a little more extroverted. Some people are more open to different experiences. Some people less so. And I think that's like a massive misconception people have when they're t- talking to other people like like that. Like if somebody like, there's, I'm sure there's people who live that type of lifestyle where they go out every weekend and I fucking love it. This yeah. is they they there's they've actually got no problems. They love living that way. That is their life. It might only be for an acute period of time, two or three years, but like that is what they're that is what they live for. And they, they aren't doing it to mask any negative emotion. So I'd imagine they are pro- they're probably the people that would like be like, but I don't get why you don't want to go out on a piss. They don't understand. Do you know? Like um my mate Vinny, like, right? Vinny fucking loves a drink. 
right? Now, he might not drink often, but when he drinks, it's from it's from zero to 10 straight away. Like, you know what I mean? It's like we're, you're ha- halfway through a drink and he's like, who's doing shots? Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, he, he wants that night to never end. You know what I mean? Whereas I'm very much a, before I go out, I know exactly how many drinks I'm going to have and then I'm going to stop. And when I get to that point, they'll stop. And I'm a fucker for it. People are like, I go on and have a I'm like, no. And if they keep on it, I'll be like, fuck off. Like, and I'll start yeah. getting angry. Like, you know what I mean? And I suppose that's probably, I'd imagine for you, that might have been the opposite. You were probably roped in a little easier. You know what I yeah, mean? When yeah. you were younger, like, you know? Couldn't stop, like. Have you learned since? Like, would you be more willing to put your foot down now? Yeah, it took me probably the guts of two years to get my drinking under control, to learn how to drink, like, in a, like a normal person, mm. you know? Um, and something that happened with working in the bars as well was I got really quick at drinking. And it was only when I was drinking with, with my mates or with, like normal people, I realized how fast I was drinking. Um, like if I had a half an hour break, I'd go, I'd get food, I'd have three pints, <laughs> I'd go back to work. You know what I mean? I'd get like a pizza or a burger, a chipper, three swamp tree points and back to back to back to work. Cause you knew you were going out that after work that evening. Yeah. If I knew I was going up the road to the cafe right that evening, I'd be trying to get drunk. I'm trying to catch up so that I could be social. Right. In the evening. I knew that I couldn't go there sober because I hadn't got the I was too anxious. What were you drinking? Uh Heineken Guinness. Guinness was the Guinness yeah. is quick. Like I'd I'd order two Guinness. Yeah. And I'd drink the first one while the second one was still settling. God, and no, then man. just have it. Yeah. If I swamped three Guinness in half an hour, I'd be rolling around on the floor. Oh, like I'd, I'd have half a point left and I'd order the next one yeah. so that I was ready to go so I could boom and on to the next one. Um, but then I started getting blackouts and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I would blackout a lot. Like that was that was when I got really bad, like waking up and random people's couches and like not knowing where I was. And like that was when the danger started. That was another tell that like, right, maybe this is a bit mm. fucked up. I should probably do something about this. Have um, you found now, like, I, like you're working as you mentioned in the in the training industry now about two years or so like you're, you're working with people helping people do you find now like having this different social group mm. do you find that that has started to change some of your habits around these things do you find you're like less inclined to engage in the same habits yeah because you're surrounded by different people yeah absolutely people that understand you know mm. what I mean people with similar goals to you they're going to understand when you say look I can't drink I'm a few weeks out from my comp oh 100% sound. Yeah. don't worry about it yeah, yeah, support network is so big. It's massive. So, so big. Like, yeah. I, I think it's, like I mentioned earlier on, I don't think it can be overstated. Like, it's it's so difficult if you're in a household or surrounded by a peer group who, they might support what you're trying to do, but not understand. And it can be little small things that they might say. Like, like if you're, if like that, if you're, I go and have one with me, have yeah. a drink with me. You know what I mean? It seems perfectly innocent, but it's that, just that little chink in the armor and they're just flicking at it. And it might be, you know, to make you feel bad about it. Yeah, not purposefully. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's all well intentioned because they are saying this is a nice thing we engage in. So why aren't you engaging mm-hmm. with me? And you know, you obviously understand well. You know, because this might affect training tomorrow, which might affect this, which might ultimately yield a lesser result that this thing I'm working for eight weeks down the road. But uh, it's so di- like it, that can be one of the hard things to communicate to people. Like I had a uh, had Shane on recently. Shane is James's coach, yeah. <laughs> uh, and. He, he spoke quite openly about it on his social media. You know, people ask him, you know, geez, six months, you haven't been able to see your friends and go out and do things. And he's like, yeah, but it's it's six months in a lifetime. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's really not that big of a sacrifice, you know? Like there's going to be a million more occasions for us to go out on the piss or have nice food or whatever, you know? But like I said, I suppose it's so baked into our culture to do this every single week that it probably is hard for people. They they lose the forest for the trees. They're, mm. they're not seeing the, the big picture because they're not in that position. So yeah, I suppose like now that you're working in a gym and these are people similarly motivated, maybe not to do the exact same things, but they understand that they're sacrificing now for something bigger later on. Yeah. 
that's massive. Mm, it's huge. I felt lucky for a while to have met these people and to have this new support group. And then I was thinking about it and was, it's not lucky. Like I've put myself here on yeah, purpose. You worked for it. I've worked for it. You know, I've, I'm, I'm here for a reason. I'm here because I wanted to be here because this is a support network. This is the support network that I want. Um, but I have to say like COVID was one of the best things that ever happened to me. That was when I made the real change because I continued to work in bars. Yeah. When I was like after going through therapy, you know, like a year or two later, still working in bars, still full time. But I'd convinced myself that I could still manage it. I'd still be okay. It was still, you know, a, a viable career for me. Um, but I still couldn't quite get the drinking under control. You know what I mean? I had got a good hang of it, but it was still quite regular. Um, but I'd managed to, to well, way more confident. Like, you know, my anxiety was was minimal. Um, but then when COVID hit, I just had this opportunity to start training again because I still missed it. I still, still wasn't quite going in the direction I wanted, but I'd almost given up on it. And I was almost like just satisfied. I was like, oh, I'll just be a barman. You know what I mean? It's fine. I don't need to do this training stuff anymore. But then I have my days where like, I miss it. You know, I miss that feeling. I miss that rush of training, of competing. And so I always still had that niggle in me. Yeah, it's tough as well when you're kind of, you probably got to a place where you're feeling pretty comfortable. You know, you're feeling yeah. a lot better in yourself. Yeah. And, you know, there's that thing that's just outside of reach, but you have to kind of sacrifice a bit of where you are now. So you have yeah. to sacrifice a bit of your comfort now to get that. And I think that's for people, you know, that, that expression change happens outside your comfort zone. Yeah. Like it's true. But because it's so cliched, people sometimes, yeah, 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 yeah. But it is that, it's that like for you to achieve the things you want, it means you might have to give up some of the things you have. Mm. And that is challenging to people, you know? So yeah. I'd imagine that's where you were at that time. You know, you knew this thing that you really wanted was right there. Well, things here were looking pretty good, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, I just, just had to take the jump and realize it's going to be worth it. Trust yourself, you know? But like the COVID facilitated that then? Obviously. Facilitated, yeah. So like I was obviously out of work, um, and I was just sitting around all day. The first lockdown was shit. That was hard. Spent all day in bed, kind of reverted back to old habits. There's no, there was nothing to do, you know. Um, and then that lockdown ended, went back to work and realized that I fucked up. I said, I missed an opportunity there. When am I going to get an opportunity like that again? Mm. Where I had all this time off. I could have been, I could have got back to training. I could have got back, could have done all these things. And then another lockdown happened. Yeah. This is right. Silver lining. Yeah, silver lining. I take advantage of this. And I just started like meticulously planning my days out. Because one, I, I didn't want to slip back into those habits again. I wanted to keep myself busy. The days are long, mm. you know, especially when you're, when I'm trying to create healthier habits. I'm like, I'm getting up early and I'm training and I have nothing to do for the rest of the day. So I need to find things to do. So I was just trying to be as productive as possible. I bought a, a planner. I bought a, a weekly planner where I can see Monday to Sunday. I think I've seen that on some of your stories. Like yeah. A yeah. blackboard, a yeah, whiteboard yeah. with a black marker. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, no, I have like, an actual diary as well. Oh, I have both. Yeah. I have, I have a yeah. Yeah, whiteboard and the, the diary as well. And it's, that was one of the best things I've ever done in my life. I still have, I'm on my second one now. And every single Friday, I'll plan my following week. Uh, but it started out during COVID. It was like, I would write, give myself tasks to do every day. So, and then at the end of the day, you check the tasks off. It's satisfying. It's like, right, I've yeah. accomplished something today. I've done something. But during COVID, it was like, get up, brush teeth, make lunch. You know what I mean? Tidy my room, make my bed. Mm. All these little jobs that I would give myself that you wouldn't even think about generally. And so because I was, I was going back to those old habits of staying in bed all day, I wasn't keeping after my room, things were getting dirty, you know. And so doing all these little jobs, then I was getting this satisfaction at the end. Every day I was like, right, that's done. I'm after completing this task, I put that away. I was feeling good, feeling motivated going into the next day. And then that's just something that I carried with me now. And I'll just try and a lot of those little things became habits then. So like now every morning I wake up, I've got my outfit ready from the night before. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that I'll get, get clothes ready for the next day. And it's like, I get in from work, I get my stuff ready for the next day. 
when I wake up the next morning, bed's made, clothes are put away, clothes are, clothes are put on, everything's sorted. And when you get home that evening, everything's just ready to go. It's just yeah. so satisfying. It gave me so much headspace. Yeah. But it gave me that routine and that discipline of like, these are the things that I have control of. And I do this regularly and this is a, that's a habit now. And then you can focus on other things. It frees up that little bit of mental bandwidth for later yeah. on. I, that That's such a good lesson because I think that these are the micro things I think people let stress are like, fuck, I yeah. need to... They get home from work like oh my fucking beds and bits, yeah, exactly. all my rooms and bits. I just want to relax because you don't want to do it at the end of the day. Never, you know what I mean. So usually, if you've got these things, you'll either like the night, like you mentioned, shorten your outfit for the next day, the night before, making sure your food's ready, things like that. Like, uh, do you do you watch any of Jordan Peterson stuff? Or do you know any of his content? Yeah. So sometimes, like he can be a little bit memed on, and people come like, haha, yeah, I can fix my whole life by cleaning my room. Well, that was where I got it from. But that this, was like, idea. it's the reason, that's why it works. There, it, it stems from uh, an old thing. It's like, the reason everyone should get up and make their bed in the morning is because it starts your day off on a win. You know, the yeah. first thing you've done is organize something. It's not about necessarily whether or not the bed's made. It's like, you got up and did something productive straight away. You know what I mean? And uh, it's the same thing with, you know, clean your room. It's, yeah. you know, lend order to that one tiny little space that you can, and that will set you up to do these things later on. Yeah, it's not saying to somebody, by cleaning your room, your whole life will suddenly turn around if it's terrible. You know what I mean? You're going to overcome your addiction and your depression and your joblessness and your lovelessness. No, but it's 1% in the right direction. So you found out during COVID, by adding all these tiny micro wins together, it sets you up to be a much more capable mm -hmm. and productive person, which yeah. you've obviously carried on now into post-lockdown. Yeah, life. it's a snowball effect. Yeah, It's a snowball. It's just, it just builds on itself, you know. Um, you just keep going and going and, and the tasks become more important, you know, mm. and they, they yield better results. I, I try to put it to clients like this. When they start training, I say, let's think about it like spinning plates. Mm. If I give you eight plates to spin, you're going to drop and fuck them all up. Said, but if we start you off with one and you can get that one spinning, so it might be go to the gym twice a week. Like, should I not go more? It's like, yeah, let's just start with twice. Yeah. You know? Because then that'll become mundane and easy. And then it might be, okay, I'm going to the gym twice and now I'm going to get out for a walk every second day. So now you're spinning two plates. And now it's, I'm going to start making my breakfast every morning, just my breakfast to bring to work with me. So before they know it, they've got like 20 different plates that are all spinning themselves and they're just part of their new life and routine because ultimately behavioral change is what's going to be the hardest thing for everybody. Mm -hmm. Like you said yourself, you had put all this, these, you had gotten more and more productive prior to COVID. You were getting things ready. But then when that first lockdown hit, the first thing that happened is you fell back into some of the, the, the bad habits, which don't get me wrong. I think that happened to a lot of people. Yeah. Like, um, I'll tell you actually a funny one for me. I had training equipment. I had a bar, I had plates. Uh, I had stolen a squat rack. Uh, so I was training away, happy as a pig and shit. Like, But one of the things I noticed is I'm, I wasn't being as active as I normally would because we work in a gym for you're on your feet all day. So I was like, I should probably get out and like walk. And I remember I had, because I had been so like regimented, I have to be here, I have to be there, I have to be there. I didn't have anywhere I had to go. And I remember like going for a walk was like the fucking hardest thing in the world for me. Like I was, I live in, I, I'm not going to actually say where I live on this bloody podcast, people be stalking me, but uh, I live in Swords, right? And uh I remember I was like walking around the estates and I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I was like, I'm just walking around this place with nowhere to go. I'm going to do a loop and go back to my bloody house. Like, this is weird. I couldn't get my head around it. Uh, and that's obviously something I've learned since. But I remember even at the time being like, this is bizarre. Like, this is something people do. They just recreationally walk. But the way my life had been set up prior to that, I never needed to. Because, you know, if we're talking steps, I'd be doing, you know, probably the same as yourself. You're doing like 15, 20,000 steps every day, just working in a gym. Yeah. So 
having to manufacture that for me was so difficult in those first couple of months. Like I really, really had a hard time with it. I've since learned now, you know, thank, thank fuck for Audible, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But uh, like, yeah, it's bizarre. The little things had become a challenge. So I agree with you. I'd started doing something quite similar. I'd have like, I developed a routine that made me much more productive. And then when we got into later lockdowns, uh, you know, hit the ground running. One of my best preps for a powerlift to meet was training at home in lockdown. I yeah. bought an Eorac and uh, myself and Vinny prepped for Ab Series 6. And that was the best performance I ever had, training in my house, you know what I mean? Squatting in the living room, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah Jesus. I, I, live in a, I live in a duplex as well, so you can imagine <laughs> squatting like over 200 kilos, just hope the floor yeah. holds up, you know? <laughs> but uh, so it was sometime during lockdown, I'd imagine you decided you wanted to work, start working in a gym. You uh, started working with a coach, Shane Story. Mm. And then how did you land in powerlifting? Because you just said you fell into it. Yeah, so when I started working in Integrity, they just had this weird rack in the corner with all these red plates. So what's, why is that different to everything else, you know? Um, and then obviously I'd seen Shane was starting to compete as well. So it was just it was just starting to get thrown at me, you know? I was just seeing it, I started to see it everywhere. And then I watched Shane compete in August. I can't remember what series it was. Um, seven, I think. Seven, yeah. I think it was seven, yeah. Uh, and just, it's like the show that Abs put on as well. I was like, this is class. This Outstanding, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's, really, it's so good. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of, hinted at Shane I was like oh, can I do a little bit of squat bench deadlift what do you yeah, think yeah. You know? like I was doing general strength training with him before I was doing like lots of um, I want. I think one of my goals was to have a, a bodyweight overhead press for some reason I just thought that would be cool and then I seen someone deadlift 300 kilos and I was like that's a bit cooler like I don't want to do that um, so yeah I started getting into that then started, I, he put me on a bit of like a power build and then come January I was like yeah I really like this I want to fully power lift and then I got a ticket for, for series 9 yeah and then away you went away I went yeah. it's isn't it crazy what it lends to your training though? Mm. Like, you know, like it while it does have this outcome at the end, you're going to perform on this day. It tends to make you so much more regimented and I have to make sure these sessions are good. Yeah. Like that, it might make you say, oh, maybe I won't have a drink before I do my squats at the end of the week yeah. or I'm not going to not gonna like neck a full pizza before my deadlift session yeah. or, you know, ah, I won't skip training today even though I'm knackered because it's important that I get my bench in or whatever. Mm. Yeah, that's one of the things I found for myself and for everybody I coach that does powerlifting, it just makes you so much more process orientated. Each session in and of itself becomes that little bit more important. Mm -hmm. And uh, like, there's naturally trials and tribulations along the way. Like sometimes, you know, you're, you'll experiment with stances and things like that. But like that, it's it's a great learning experience and it accumulates on this day. And you must have liked it because you've done a second one since. Yeah, it was great. It's such a good experience that first time. I was so nervous. I remember going in. I don't remember my first squat at all. Like just blacked out, went out, hit the squat, walked out the back, looked at Shane. I was like, did I get it? Yeah. He's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's grand, right? Nerves were gone then. I could enjoy myself. Yeah, I remember. Um, I remember your first competition because yeah. I remember. I think yourself and another one of Shane's guys was standing next to each other. Connor, was it Connor? Yeah, and uh, he's about just standing there like during the headlights, and no one was using the rack. And yeah. I was like, right, you, then you, then you, then you. Let's go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you, the warm-up area can be a bit hectic, like a bit daunting, unless yeah. you know what's going on. So uh, that's kind of a like an unwritten rule between coaches because like Shane and I obviously know each other. Um, we were like, right, we're just going to throw all our lads on this rack and we'll warm them all up. You know what I mean? Because it can, especially when it's your first couple of meets, it can be a little intimidating. My first ever meet, I was in the back with Jake Brennan and Eamon. I've mentioned Jeez, this already. Yeah. I was in a flight of 15 lads and they were the two heaviest lifters in it. And I was like, what the fuck's going on here? Like, you know, so yeah. there was like a lot of big heavy hitters in it, and I was just there, you know, yeah. <laughs> so, it was good. But uh, I'm really glad that you obviously stuck with it because one of the things particularly that I love about powerlifting is that it really has a really strong sense of community. Mm. Like, I'm sure you've made friends out. It's how you and I know each yeah. other, you know? Uh, like, you, you've obviously met Raquel. You 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 guys are friends. You've, you've met Connor. Mm. Uh, so I'm sure, like, Raquel said you have the, uh, like, a group 
Yeah, 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 yeah and you just gas each other up and stuff like yeah. that. Like, I love that. I love that that's what people get out of it. Like, obviously, it's, it's just lifting. Yeah. But I think it's so different to how a lot of other just regular gym sports are done. Like, I know, for example, CrossFit has a great sense of community as well. It's one of the reasons I really like CrossFit. But most CrossFit communities happen in a CrossFit box. Yeah. Whereas, like, yourself and Raquel don't even train in the same gym. But you can still be like a good support network for each other. Yeah. So I, I love that element of powerlifting. So there's basically no barriers to entry. You just need a rack and a bar, and you can train. Yeah. I'm sure you've found a value in that yourself and meeting loads of new people and things like that. You yeah. know, it's just adding to that support system again. It's just more people with the same values as you. Mm. You know, and that that's who I end up having most of my interactions with is like other powerlifters and people yeah. that just have similar values and goals. Yeah, and ironically, like I always make that joke. I don't know if you've ever seen the Simpsons meme. It's like Maggie's like standing on the water bank and she's looking up at Ned oh, Flanders yeah. family, the CrossFit community, and Homer and Bart and Lisa are in the puddle of water yeah. as the powerlifting <laughs> community. Like I always make the joke. It's that the people that are in CrossFit are all the functional members of society that are just you know doing well and want to do a bit of like training, and powerlifters are all the ones whose parents didn't love them enough. You know, <laughs> that's the joke. Like, but uh, yeah, like that. I'm, I I think it's a really good story that like you went from being somebody who was caught in this. Fair Fairly negative cycle. Who've now you've gotten yourself up to where you're being a super productive member of society. Obviously, you're a fucking you're a coach. You know what I mean. You're lending value to everybody on a daily basis that you work with in Integrity Gym, whether directly or indirectly with your classes and things like that. And you also compete at a pretty high level in powerlifting. You know, you're competing at the Ab Series. You're putting up some pretty good weights. Uh, you mentioned you've run a couple of marathons. You know what was the last one? Was the one in Waterford? Yeah, the Waterford Viking Marathon, half marathon. Yeah. yeah. You've ran one before, and then you run one in aid of uh, men's mental health. Yeah, yeah, I've done lots of runs. I've done a lot like five k's, ten k's. I've done a lot of them. Um, I would have been like a big advocate for November and stuff. They normally do runs, like run five k a, a day or something like that. Right. Um, and try and raise money and just just general. Um, I've done shaver die a few times, and I'd like I do a run for that as well. And oh, I saw that on your page. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the the Galway half marathon that that was t that was the first half marathon I did. That was like the biggest challenge I think I'd set myself. I never it was double the, the length I'd ever ran. Ten mm. k was the first I'd ever done, and then the Galway one was twenty one. Um, and then I did the the Viking one in Waterford there this year, and I got a I think I shaved about eight minutes off my time. Uh, definitely took a chunk out of my. Uh, strength, but it was still good. Like, yeah. yeah. Hybrid athlete. Yeah. <laughs> I think you can get away with a lot of those things when you're like far out enough from a competition anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I think that's, and I, I would actually encourage more powerlifters to do cardio. I've mentioned mm. this on this podcast a couple of times. I think too often, not just powerlifters, but people in like a very like narrow bottleneck sport that can get a bit too hot. Like weightlifters are yeah. exactly the same. They can get a bit too hyper-focused on just this one thing. And I think it's important to have other, you know, facets of your training and fitness to be quite high as well. That's what I was saying. I encourage you, if you're going back to go, absolutely do it. I think you should. Uh, especially if you're not going to compete again anytime soon. Like we have a couple of lads that play in the off-season, you know, or they, they right. do powerlifting in their off-season. Uh, Dave Fustos, who was like my first ever, ever like unofficial guest. He did like my practice recording with me. He met, he, he's a, Thai boxer mm. and he says powerlifting's his holiday sport you know what I mean and <laughs> yeah, I, lo yeah. I love that like he's willing to like just jump in between different things to have fun you know yeah, yeah that, that's really really good I think that's a, a cool uh, a cool way to look at it you know but uh, I'd imagine then you've got more powerlifting in your future for sure absolutely yeah, yeah and has that like do you think this has been like a natural progression for you this has you mentioned you know you were previously caught in this cycle and this thing was like far out like it was there mm. but you just kept not moving towards it. I assume this is now you realizing this version of yourself more and more and more yeah pretty much pretty much um I always wanted to like help people. I always wanted to be a people helper. That was like for as long as I can remember. And so that was when I was going so far in the other direction where I couldn't even help myself. Mm. That was the tough thing to realize. So now that I'm literally helping other people for a job, 
it's insane to me. Like it's it's a bit a uh, bit surreal sometimes, especially when, when I first started working in the gym. It was it was surreal to me, and like that imposter syndrome coming in. Then yeah. clients are signed up like, why me? You know, it's like because I've worked for this. Like I've spent years now trying to get into this position. I suppose it's one of those things as well. I see I I've seen like dozens of new coaches, hundreds at this stage coming in and out of the business, and it's always people are so nervous about their first couple mm -hmm. of clients. Like imagine how that person feels. Yeah. Like at least you know how to do some training. They know nothing and they're terrified and they're trusting you. You mentioned previously with your therapist, it was nice to have someone in your corner. Mm. And I think that's a lot of what we tend to do when we get into a position of helping people. We're trying to be the person we needed. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So like, that's how I always try to think of it when I'm working with somebody. It's like, who, who does this person, who do they need? Who did I need when I was mm. in their position? Do you know what I mean? You try and be that person for them, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, for some people I coach, they might be like incredibly like secure people. They've got a really solid life and all they want is permission to go. So I do this. Yep. Grant. And off they go. Whereas other people are like, am I doing this right? Is this okay? Yeah. Am I like they need, they want you to take a position of like authority for them and say, yes, what you're doing is okay. You can keep going. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's really about finding how you can be that person for those people. Yeah. I think that's the that's where the real mastery of this job comes in. Because you met, you mentioned before, like other coaches have helped you. They've given you books and sent you links and obviously showed you things to help you improve your knowledge. But like all those like theory-based applications don't mean shit if you're not the right person for that person. Mm. Do you know, uh, I think I mentioned to one of your lads, I can't remember if I did or not, I say it so often. There is a coach in the States called Eric Cressy. And he's he's got a really good quote that I like. I'm going to paraphrase it here or butcher it, but it's essentially this. He goes, if you put 30 kilos on somebody's deadlift, but you're an asshole, all they'll ever say about you is you're an asshole. And if they, if all they got out of training with you over an eight to 16 week period was that they had a good time, that I would say he, that was a great guy. Because yeah. you gave them an environment in which they enjoyed being in. And I think if you can do that as a coach or a trainer or anybody, it, whether you're, like you're, I'm sure the therapist, the you, they f facilitated an environment yeah. where you felt like you could let some of these things out. Yeah. You know? That's why you stick to it then as well. Mm. Like that, if somebody adds 30 kilos to your deadlift, but you hate a training, you didn't like that environment, you're going to leave. Yeah. You're not going to keep it up. Whereas if you enjoy what you're doing and enjoying the process is massive. That's something I preach to my clients all the time. Mm. You know, they've got, they've got a goal and all they're worried about is the goal. They're like, oh, I hate what I'm doing. Like just trying to get them or figuring out what they enjoy as well. Like, you know, I'm so open to changing someone's, changing the way I train somebody yeah. to get them to enjoy it, to get them to stick to it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, because ultimately it's more important that you are exercising than how you exercise. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's, I, I try, I'll have this conversation with people sometimes when they're very new and they're like, oh, I just, you know, I want like, I don't lift as much as them. I'm like, no, listen, it's like, enjoy this time because this is the time you're going to look back on and go, oh, do you remember when I was new? Yeah. Do you remember when I was brand new and I was, everything was, I was learning all this stuff and I was getting like, I was adding two and a half, five kilos to the bar every week. I'm like, yeah, they're the good times. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be like that down the road, you know? So yeah, it, it's it's the fun part of being a coach to see the the evolving of somebody, and I'd imagine yeah. like that's probably what a lot of it's been for like yourself with yourself. You know what I mean? You've probably seen yourself evolve as a person over time. Yeah. But like, given your experiences and the, you work with the public as well, do you think that some of the things you're talking about? Do you think this is something that a, a lot of lads are facing? Do you think this is a, a thing in in society? You mentioned you've done a lot for you've done you're a big advocate for November and things like that. You've you've done shave or die. You've yeah. you've you've, uh, ran, you've done the kilometers and things like that. Like, is this a, a, as big of a thing as it appears to be? Is this something you've seen? Absolutely, yeah. Um, you just see it everywhere. You know, like everybody and they talk about people talk about things so blasé, like oh the fear. You know, everyone talks about the fear the next day after drinking. Mm. Like you feel shit. You know, you feel shit because of your actions the night before. That's not a good thing. You know, but every people just normalize and they're like, oh, it's the fear. Everybody gets it, you know? Yeah. Like, don't drink as much and you won't feel that way. 
Well, do you know, that's the reason I want to I want to talk about it is because I think part of what like right there's obviously a bigger there's a bigger emphasis there's more noise there's more there, people are being more vocal about mental health especially over the last 10 years. Now, I think this comes with some pros and cons. And now you're somebody who's been on this other side of it. So correct me anywhere I'm wrong here. Give your own thoughts. So if we disagree on anything, don't be afraid to give it to me. But like, I definitely think, firstly, because it's more vocal and for example, like the world has been changed the past 10 years, 20 years with the availability of the internet and information and things like that. So we've gone from being in societies of 150 to 250 people to like hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people being able to echo back what you want to hear. Mm. Like I can prove I'm right about anything because I'm sure I can find a form that tells me I'm right, yeah. do you know? And you mentioned like, you know, for example, a lot of a lot of people tend to sedate themselves with alcohol. And I think particularly, again, this is, whether anything I say here, if I speak specifically of men, I'm not saying women don't have problems as well. I'm only speaking this way because I'm, we're lads. You know what I mean? Mm. So we're, I'm going to speak specifically to this because one observation I have, and again, I'm probably speaking from a bit of a pedestal as somebody who has not been in this position. But I think nowadays, too much of what drives mental health issues in men is that we engage in too much sedation, habits that sedate us and our natural proclivities to make things happen. Men tend to be quite ambitious, tend to be quite aggressive, tend to be go-getters. Like, despite everything you've said you've been through, you're still a go-getter, you know what I mean? You're working for yourself, you're competing in powerlifting. There's people who would never ever step foot on that stage out of pure terror, you know what I mean? Mm. And you're going up on one of the most competitive platforms in Europe at the Ab Series. So, you know, you've definitely got that edge in you. It's all in there. But I think it's things like, you mentioned for yourself it was alcohol mm. or you mentioned during that one summer it was video games. Uh, like it's pornography, you know what I mean? Lads can sedate themselves with all these things of instant gratification, yeah. you know, so, so immediately. And I've seen like one of the things actually, I made a note of it because I wanted to say it was during the summer, uh, a lot of people listen will know who's, there's somebody called Andrew Tate. I know a lot of people know. And it's not about whether or not you like this person or dislike this person or what they say or what they don't say. But everything he had to say on social media was taken down because they said it was dangerous. And I can't understand how somebody saying something that, fair enough, you can read it whatever way you want, but somebody saying words is more dangerous for society than being able to instantly access Pornhub on your phone or a child yeah. could could pick up a phone and look at pornography. Mm. How that is not dangerous for not only men's perspective of what women should do or perform like or how they should look, but also like, how that that you basically take all that sexual energy or whatever might be a motivator for you in day-to-day -day life and you know you're getting it through a phone screen instead of actually being out trying to meet people and you know talk to girls or whoever you're into you're getting it all through this artificial stimulus same with video games N nothing wrong with video games necessarily in moderation but i'm saying like you know why go out and achieve anything for yourself when you know you can level up your character in world of warcraft or whatever it might be you know so this is this is my thought process but you tell me, you're somebody who's been on the other side. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree. It's it's so overlooked that instant gratification. People just it's people accept that it's normal, and it's not. It's not normal to be able to just pull out your phone and get these little dopamine hits, and mm. it, it distracts you from reality. You know, anyone can just go on TikTok and they spend hours. Like you lose hours of your day because of this distraction, and sometimes like that, people are just genuinely they enjoy doing it to get distracted. But then sometimes it's escapism for people as well. For sure. You know, and it's easier to pull out your phone and go for a point as well. Mm. You know what I mean? So you're you're escaping all day. You know, all day you're distracting yourself from your real problems. And people just accept that, like, this is the way I am. You know, and so many people just feel lost as well, just incredibly lost. And part of the reason, I think, is because you've access to social media and you can see so many other people. 
you know, you can see exactly what everybody else is doing. And so then you're comparing yourself. And so then you feel shit because you don't feel good enough or you don't feel good compared to that other person. Um, I read a book a while ago called uh, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Mm. And um, he talks about like the hierarchy. And so he says, say, if you had a tribe of like 20 people, even 100 people, and that was the only, they're the only people that you know in your whole existence. You know where you are in the hierarchy, whether there's people above you, there's people below you, at least you know where your place is and you have somewhere to work towards mm -hmm. and you have people to help up that are below you. Modern day, you have like a tribe in your job, you have your gym, you have the team that you play for. There's so many different places where you're like, where do I belong here? Like, where am I in terms of my job, in the hierarchy of my job? Where am I in terms of the sport that I play? Where am I in my friend group? Where do I lie here? And then you pull out your phone and there's like millions of faces. Yeah. And there's all these celebrities and there's all these people like, well, shit, where am I here? Like, what am I worth? What's my worth here? Where do I stand among these other people? Um, and then you just distract yourself. You don't know where you're going. You feel lost. And it just comes back then to that acceptance, you know. Uh, it's terrible. Like. Well, I suppose that when, I'm, I'm really glad you brought up the hierarchy thing because I think it's, a, it's an interesting talking point because it's one of these issues when we talk about hierarchies is what is it a hierarchy in? Mm. Because for example, uh, there's a lot of the argument made about like, you know, the patriarchal society is based on a power or dominance hierarchy when it really, most human society is based on competence. We base, generally speaking, we go to the person we see as the most competent in the role. Like there's a reason you chose Shane to be your coach because I'm, not, I'm gonna assume it's not because he lifts the most weights or he is the most in shape. It's because you you viewed him as the most competent for the job or the most compatible with what you wanted. Am I right in saying yeah. that? So th this would be why the freedom of selection is what's paramount to society, that we give people that freedom of choice and association. And, but I do understand on an individual level, when you're part of so many different social groups, it's like, but where do I stand with these people? And it's a tough one. Uh, like. I know from my own individual experiences, like, don't get me wrong, when I start in a new environment, I understand usually in the perception of that group, I'm now at the bottom. But like, I, maybe it's part of my personality, but if somebody say, where are you in this social hierarchy that we're in? I'm at the top, mm. at the very yeah. fucking top. I'm in the top 5%. I'm not saying I'm top everybody else. I'm sure there's a couple people above me, but I'm definitely in the fucking top. Yeah. And I don't know, there might be people who watch this or listen to this and argue or laugh or whatever. I don't care because I know where I am. But I think some of that is as well. I suppose when people talk about comparison, if I was to say one lesson I've, I don't know if I've learned it or just something that's been ingrained in me and give me your thoughts on this after, is that when people compare, they tend to compare outwardly. Mm. Whereas for me personally, I tend to compare inwardly. I'll look at where I was a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And I can be very proud of the fact that I, what I've done and overcome. And I'm sure you can as well. You've doing a whole pile, especially if you talk about the days you were like lying in bed, not able to get up and do anything to now. Yeah. That's a massive, massive progress, you know? Yeah. I definitely do a bit of both. I would do probably majority, like you said, comparing inwardly, looking at myself, my own progress. And like, I would be my biggest motivator, but I still would look outwardly as well. And I say like, if I want to be in a certain position, if I want to be a good powerlifter, I want to be, at, like I said, I want to make D1. Let me look at the D1 lifters. Let me see, you know, who they are, what they're doing and use that as motivation. Can as I well. ask you a question on that? Yeah. When you look at people in a position you want to be in, mm. right? Like they're better, right? Yeah. Does that make you uncomfortable? No. How does it make you feel? It's motivating. If I see somebody doing something that I can't do, I said, okay, I can do that as well. If you can do it, why can't I? Mm. You know, that's the perception is like, you see somebody say, well, I can do it as well. Why are you any different to me? For sure. You know, like everybody bleeds the same blood. There's yeah. no reason why I can't get to that position that you're in. That That's the perfect mindset because too often, 
it's the re I think it, we, we spoke a couple of minutes ago, like I said, the tools we employ, you mentioned TikTok, there's Instagram is probably the biggest one where people outwardly compare, mm. right? And don't get me wrong, somebody might have, and I suppose the big thing to say about social media is it is a tool. And remember, people only ever post the highlights. They only yeah. ever post the good stuff. They're only ever posting them at their best or their best looking. And you're lying there in bed in a dressing gown, you know, sweating the bollocks out of yourself, trying to stay warm with a hot water bottle strapped to your back of your belly or whatever. And your, you know, face is covered in pseudocreme or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're there yeah. when you're like nine to cup of tea. You know, like, why are they so good looking? Because they manufactured that most likely. But again, it's okay for people to do that, but to understand that it is what it is. It's you, in most cases, there's the best thing I've ever heard about social media is it's your brand of me. You're selling yourself. Yeah. Whether you're somebody in a business or you're just a regular person, everything is your brand of me. So you're only ever going to put up what is a best reflection of what you want the world to view you as. Yeah. So I suppose with that in context, people can take it with a bit of levity. But also, if you look at something online that makes you that little bit uncomfortable, why do they have that and I don't have that? It's like, if that makes you uncomfortable to the point where you're like, oh, it's Instagram's fault. It's like, well, maybe there's something extra you can get out of yourself. Maybe you're capable of more. And maybe that's what gets to people. It's knowing that what you're doing now is not the best you can do. Maybe you can be that little bit better. Now, maybe what you need to do is give it time. Maybe you're too young. Like a lot of people listening to this. If you're 21 and you're still living in your ma's house and you're in college, you know what I mean? Maybe don't be too hard on yourself if there's only like 20 quid in your bank account. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's okay. You know what yeah. I mean? Don't worry. You've got loads and loads of time. Yeah. But like, you know, if you're like 28 and you're still on minimum wage and you're like, well, I want to I wanna go further. I want to get more. I want to do better in life. Great. Do it. You know what I mean? Find out what the steps are that need to happen. And remember that, I suppose, that there's a good that good quote, you know, every journey of, you know, a thousand miles begins with one step. Mm. And it's that first step that usually people stumble on. And that's the point. It's that's going to be the most uncomfortable bit. But once you begin and once you get, like you mentioned earlier on, that snowball effect, yeah. you know, and I think it's for anything, whether it's to do with your physical health or you for yourself when it was that big mental health battle, which ironically, as you as we can observe, I've seen on your on your page, because you have made those changes mentally, physically, you've changed as well. You're a lot more muscular, you're a lot leaner. You know what I mean? Did those two things go hand in hand for you? Yeah, absolutely. Like as soon as I started looking after the inside, the outside just showed for it, you know? And like, I always say that to people, how can you look after somebody else if you can't look after yourself? For sure, yeah. You know? I think people do that though. I think oh, they, they externalize do. care because yeah. they will put themselves last because it's easier to take the emotion out of somebody else's needs and say, I'll just take care of that for you. But at some point that will drop, like, for sure. you know? And maybe initially you are able to look after other people, like if you're a coach, maybe you, maybe you will still be a good coach for a while. But if you're not taking your own advice, if you're not leading from the front, then it's going to drop off. You know what I mean? You're going to stop learning. You're going to stop caring. It's not going to go well. You need to look after yourself before you look after other people. It's a point of contention I think I have with some coaches sometimes, right? Because there's this like whole point that like, you know, a coach does not necessarily have to be in shape to be a good coach, right? You don't have to be in shape to be a good coach, but you are meant to be, people are meant to aspire to be like you. You're Like you mentioned, you're meant to lead from the front. It doesn't mean you need to be chiseled six pack 20 20 I don't know where 20 came from 12 months a year you know what I mean but like it's about embodying to people what it is to be in a certain lifestyle because they have recognized they need to change something yeah. and they've come to you because they trust that you can't you live the way they are trying mm. to to live and that's a big responsibility I think actually in our business they're like that like we've mentioned for some of your story I think there are a lot of people that do suffer with very similar issues and maybe mask it through fitness yeah. you know maybe mask it through training I know uh, as I mentioned Stephen Tierney earlier on he does he speaks to a lot of his his guys his coaches about some of their experiences and it's very good listen 
but uh, it really shows you to the degree of like while we are meant to represent these things, and I do firmly believe we should, I think people also sometimes forget that there is a person behind it who may yeah. be overcoming their own struggles. Yeah, it's very, it's an interesting point, and that's yeah. why I brought up if we if we think it's something mm. that is prevalent in in young lads and men in general. Yeah, hundred percent. And like you said, it goes the other way as well. There's people that are in shape that have issues as well, mm. you know, and they they might they're masking it with that. And I see people all the time, and I think it's something that's not talked about enough because like that, you see something, you see somebody in shape, and you're like, oh, he's doing great when he might not be. And I think body dysmorphia among men is massive as oh, well. Oh, for sure, and yeah. not, I think not a lot of people realize that. You know, I've, I've talked to people, I see people all the time, and they're like, oh, I look shit. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, I'm getting fat or I'm too skinny, not big enough, is a, is a big one with lads that I see all the time. And that's, they need, they have some stuff that they need to sort out, you know, within themselves, um, because it's it's not going to go well. You know what I mean? You mm -hmm. see them, they're struggling every day. And like, you think it's good. Oh, he's in the gym, he's keeping fit. So that's a good thing. But mentally, he's struggling and that's going to get worse and worse because he's chasing something that he can't get. Yeah. You know? And I think that's why so many young people probably resort to doing things like steroids. Like yeah. we had Ben on talking mm -hmm. about previously and he's said himself, like looking back, he probably wouldn't have made exactly the same decisions yeah. but like no naturally he's he like that like most people if we all just listen to advice none of us would ever make mistakes yeah. but we we go ah, i won't i won't be like that and then we go and fuck ourselves yeah. should have listened yeah should have listened but he's turned it around he has a great life he has a great girlfriend he has a kid he's run a very successful business with the better man project so like that i suppose the big lesson and like especially given your backstory is that like it all you can turn it all around mm. and uh the big thing I think is for most lads is getting out of that little cycle, whatever's sedating you, whatever's yeah. drowning out those negative thoughts and whatever's giving you that instant gratification, whether in your case it was alcohol, whether it's video games, whether it's fucking pornography or substance abuse or whatever little insulated bubble you're keeping yourself in to try and hide, the big change is going to happen when you take action. Yeah, breaking the cycle is the biggest thing. Mm. Just taking that first step, whatever it is, if it's hiring a coach, if it's going to the doctor, going to a therapist, Taking that first step to break the cycle that you're in, that's what's going to start that snowball effect then. And I think that's a good way to end it off. Yeah. James, so. thank you very much for coming on the Iron Mindset. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Gang, thank you very much for listening. That was James McLaughlin with a really fantastic story, how he overcame so much hardship in the early part of his life to become who he is today, a coach helping other people and powerlifting competitor. Gang, make sure you're signed up to that newsletter. You're following on Instagram at RNA and PT. We'll see you in the next one.